Welcome into another episode of Turn the Corner, a Detroit Tigers podcast. I am Kieran Steckley. With me, as always, is the man who believes baseball is the only summer league. He is Cody Stavenhagen. How you doing? Hey, you're not wrong. Uh, I went to a couple of restaurants this past week where NBA Summer League was on. My dad was in town. He goes, what is this? <laughs> it's like, well, it's it's like sort of like spring training for basketball. Not really, but sort of, you know. And he was like, they show this on TV. I was like, well, they show everything on TV now, so it's fair. Yeah, prime time, uh, even occasionally. I mean, it's not, but let me just say, it's not what you want to be watching at the MGM Sportsbook on a Friday night. Anyone who was in there with money on NBA Summer League, they got some problems. I'd like to interview that person, but (laughs) (laughs) back to it it is a weird dead period this week, obviously, with the All Star break in baseball, but we have plenty to talk about because this week the Tigers completed their draft class in the year 2023. We only talked last week, we, we popped on. And we talked, like I said, 10, 15 minutes like after the Max Clark selection, which, you know, just in general, love the drama aspect of that selection. You know, I think it made for some good podcast fodder. And now we've had a week to kind of reflect on it, Cody. And you got to talk to him via Zoom, I believe. And and you hear from Scott Harris. We'll kind of get into that here in a second. I'm just kind of curious how that pick number three passing on Langford is kind of marinated over the past week for you uh given the reporting you've done since and I'm sure you've gone and watched some videos read some more articles you know like how does it kind of stand with you right now you know I meant to go back and listen to what we did right after the draft because I I just don't even remember what I said it was kind of a whirlwind right (laughs) uh I hope I didn't pan the pick too much I, I I will stand by Personally, if I had to make that decision, probably would have drafted White Lincoln. But I think I've said all along, I, I liked Max Clark's game. I like him as a prospect. So a week later, I think that's still how I feel. Uh, so classic example, two things can be true at once. Uh, risky, risky move taking him over Langford. But start to look at it, man, like there, there are some positives to like Max Clark. Everyone says he's as close as a five-tool player. I mean, a guy who can stay in center field, the speed. This is a guy who's, like, catered for the rule adjustments in MLB, catered to play in a place like Comerica Park. I'm not a huge believer in building your team around a park because you play 81 games in other places. But this guy's going to have 81 games at Comerica one day, and it sounds like his game's going to fit in quite well there. You know, personality-wise, I wasn't sure what to expect from Max Clark. You see, you know, he's kind of got this this uh, flashy dress. He's known for being on Instagram and TikTok and all this. And kind of this, you know, Zoomer social media star. And I was like, all right, like, is this is this kid, like, a serious person or not was kind of my question. And I don't know him. I haven't interacted with him enough to give you a definitive answer. But just his draft night Zoom and uh, watching how he couple, handled a couple things after, man, it was – it was hard not to like Max Clark. I almost went in like not wanting to like him. And by the end, he's got a charismatic way about him uh, that makes it pretty easy to win people over. A fan-friendly personality is probably the best way to say it. So, you know, I think it's cool to have a guy like that in the system from a baseball standpoint. You know, it, it makes sense. We talked about the timeline standpoint. I don't think the Tigers taking four of the first five high schoolers is as reflective of timeline because I think when you get into the deeper rounds of the draft, like you can't be thinking that way. You just have to look to add talent to your system. I think the first round can still be somewhat indicative of timeline, but Scott Harris made the point on draft night. Well, some of the best picks in this system were high school guys and it didn't take Riley green as long as some people thought to get to the big leagues. It's probably not going to take quote Keith as long as I thought to get to the big leagues. And so if Max Clark is up here in three years versus Wyatt Langford in two years, like, is it really that much of a difference? Uh, so now that the storm of draft night is over, I'm interested to watch Max Clark play baseball and see where his career goes. The Langford comparison will always loom, but I think Tigers fans can feel pretty good about the dude they got. Yeah, you know, obviously I went back and, and listened to what we said, you know, when I was putting the pod together and then when I put 
just our kind of 10 minutes of instant reaction out on YouTube. You can subscribe to us on YouTube if you want to see. And that's that's the great thing. Our takes will live forever. <laughs> we can see how cold they become. Yeah, exactly. And and I think if I were to reflect on your attitude, it was more of just like I like Max Clark, but you weren't necessarily prepared to talk to uh, talk about him in the context of the Tigers. So <laughs> I was not. So so that's. I think if people look at that as like, did he come across as negative? I didn't think you were negative, but any sort of tone was shaped by like not having that notion in mind prior, which is why the draft can be fun. Me, like I, I think I was, I had no pushback to the pick. I probably would have taken Langford, but the more I, you know, watched him, you know, with his little hometown draft party thing, he's handling questions. He just kind of went out and said the slot number which I thought was, uh, I know, that was awesome. which I thought was awesome. Yeah, you know, it's number four, you know, slot. So that's what we wanted. So we're good. I was like, oh, cool. So now we don't have to speculate. And you know, he's an honest guy. He's obviously, seems to be like a really community-based dude. Uh, that town is tiny. It's like I think I looked it up, like twenty-five thousand. It's not a very big town. Yeah. And he could have Franklin, Indiana. He said he had 800 people at they they had like a community draft party in addition to his personal draft party. Yeah, 800 people. Yeah, 800 people have never shown up to support me. Or anything, <laughs> I'll tell you that. Other than the beautiful listeners of Turning the Corner, of course, yes, of course, virtually represented. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> I also went and watched this. I don't know what you call it. I'm not trying to be dismissive, but like a YouTube documentary thing that he did. He had a, like a crew follow him at different spots throughout, like I guess his last season in high school. And I thought he came across as very comfortable in, you know, who he is and his stature. There was a scene there where he's for 45 minutes signing autographs for kids. Like he's like a Indiana baseball celebrity. Um, so anything that comes with pro ball shouldn't be like a shock to his system, I would say. Sure. And he just kind of, uh, I would jot down some notes. He just kind of came across as a pretty assured of himself, comfortable guy. Now he's obviously got some, some of that flair to him. You could probably argue, is there some, you know, I don't know. I don't, I don't mean this in a superficiality yeah that we'll go with that we'll go with that that's a little safer word than i was gonna go but you know with the eye black and the the big sunglasses you know what kind of image i wash i wash is the baseball term is this fake yeah is this a show or is it real? yeah and to me it just kind of seems like he is a ball player through and through you watch like his mlb network interviews he seems like just like i said a guy who's watch him play watch some video man Dude's a, dude's a gamer, you know, he's a, I hate to use the word gritty, you know, he compared himself to Harper and he, he has a little bit of that style. Like he's, he's got a little bit of a dirtbag style, which I love. Dirtbag is a good word for it because he's, he's gritty, hard nosed baseball, but also flashy. And he's got that combination. And we might be looking back at this guy being maybe the next kind of new wave of type of athlete or like part of the new wave type of athlete in, in in baseball which you know it's kind of fun to witness you know at the beginning so i like the pick I, I i understand the hesitation i actually came up with this see if this makes sense max clark has been a detroit tiger for a little less than a week right now no i, guess, I don't know if he's technically signed his he, contract. he hasn't signed. okay so well presuming that he signs his contract he's he's been slotted to be a detroit tiger for a little less than a week. And he's kind of already got a little bit of a taste of the hobby bias treatment. Now, what do I mean by that? What I mean by that is the outside world is a little bit more fond of him than the Tigers fandom. And that's not and that's not to say he obviously gets the ire that Hobby does, but if you think about it, the apple of the eye for Tigers shortstop free agency a couple years ago was Carlos Correa. Carlos Carrera doesn't go, and the Tigers get Javi Baez, who is loved in baseball circles, not located in the 3-1-3. Loved, adored. Max Clark is loved. You watch the analysis, you read the analysis by guys that do this for a living. Loved and adored. And then when the Tigers take him over Langford, it's like, eh, I like him, but. You know, like yeah. the, the, the Tigers minor league uh, report people had amazing live string and their reaction was priceless. I went purposely went to watch it later and they were just kind of like, ah, it's not to say that they didn't <laughs> like him, 
You know what I mean? But like Correa Langford, Clark Bias. So it's a little bit of a you know not who not who I had my eye on, but who who I have here now aspect. So that's why I say he's got a little bit of the hobby bias treatment. In addition to, I'm sure Max Clark by the time he gets to Detroit is gonna be, he's gonna have more tattoos. He's gonna play with some flair. Like there's a there there's some loose similarities there. But overall, just on the skills alone, I'm cool with taking a big swing, man. I'm cool with going with the upside. And this is a theme that we'll kind of get to a little bit later with some of the other picks. But I'm cool with going with the upside of the guy who you think has the potential to be the best player. Because there's no more crapshoot than a baseball draft. And if and if you're picking at three, you might as well go for swing for the fences, to use an overused uh, term. And I think also we're going to look back and we look at Langford and, and Clark right there. I think Langford ended up in a better situation for him going to Texas. And I, and I think Clark went into a better situation than if he would, he wasn't really connected that much to Texas, but any of the teams that followed, like I think he's in a better situation where he can come up with a young team and, and be around guys like Riley Green and Spencer Torkelson, other high draft picks who can relate to him a little bit better than, you know, if he were going to Texas and has to go with Seegers and Simeons of the world who are great guys, but they're just in different points in their life. So there's no one that's going to understand what Max Carr is going through better than Riley Green. Riley Green, in theory, eventually will be his outfield partner and middle of the order bat partner as well. So... I think it all just kind of works out. I think it all works out on paper, in theory. And I thought it was very telling. We can go into other aspects of the draft now. The way Scott Harris looked at this draft. Now, every year, I I bet you it's coming out pretty soon. A colleague of yours, Bruce Feldman, has like his freaks list for the college uh, football players that are just like, you know, have some great athletic trait. And I kind of felt like the Tigers use like a baseball version of that to draft some of these guys because almost every single guy that they every single guy that they drafted has some i'm not going to say unique skill but some high-end skill that like if you're just like why would you take this guy oh he threw 97 you know as a high school junior okay that seems like something we can work with oh he batted 420 in the big 10 okay that seems like something i mean it goes beyond that they literally got a guy who can hold a baseball with his entire palm you know yeah they got got the junior college kid from oklahoma who had like 590 or something (laughs) 27 home runs yeah just uh they they got some guys you know tall guys big frames whatever some physical traits in addition to some baseball traits with almost every guy you could just see a little bit of a different stamp on this draft from scott harris rob metzler and Mark Connor, the guys who are doing this now, you saw a lot of high school picks. You could kind of see them really playing and weighing the slot game with Max Clark going slightly under. Sounds like McGonagall's, you know, getting slightly over all this stuff. Um, and it, you, it, it's hard to describe with a baseball draft. Like, does is this ultimately a great draft? I don't know. There was a, a Lynn Hinnon call in those comparing this to like the Tigers drafts of the late seventies. And I was like, I should probably pump the brakes on that here. Like I like talking about expectations. That's, (laughs) that is, you know, is Kevin McGonigal, Alan Trammell. Like that's not a fair bar to set here right now, but I liked the feel of the draft. It just felt like a smart modern draft. And I'm talking regardless of what you think of Max Clark post round one, there there's a lot to like about just the way the Tigers went about these things. You're right. Now, here's a stat, and I got to credit Scott Bentley uh, for tweeting this out. Nine prep players in 20 rounds. And so if you take the first 20 rounds of the other drafts prior to the change, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22. Obviously, 20 was only five rounds, but nine prep guys combined. Combined. So there's a Who's to say what the right and the wrong about that philosophy is? But there's definitely a method here. And, you know, you mentioned the slot stuff. I That was one of the things I wrote down. Regardless of your feelings about Clark versus Lankford, 
it seems to me that they use their pool effectively, assuming that like the guys that they drafted that they're going to go over uh, will sign. Obviously, we won't know that until what like next uh, two weeks or whatever. But it seems like they had a good use of resources. It's as I said last week, it's not going cheap to go. What was it, six hundred thousand or whatever under slot to take a guy who may be the best player in this draft when all is said and done. So, uh, McGonagall, I'm gonna have, I'm gonna like twist my tongue trying to say this. McGonagall, McGonagall is a perfect example and a guy that I think Kylie McDaniel said was one of his favorite players in the draft. You see a lot of stuff where it's like the two best prep bats in the draft. Yeah. Uh, even even Keith Law liked our guy McGonagall here. He was ranked like 21, 23. You got him at what, 37? Like yeah, that's, that's good stuff. Yeah, so you were able to hear, well, we talk about different stamps. And another change was that the draft headquarters, if you would, no longer in Lakeland, right? It's over... Mm-hmm. Where it's over in Detroit, are they at Comerica or not only is it not Lakeland, it's not Comerica, it's that little Caesars World headquarters, Ooh. baby, getting the corporate treatment. <laughs> That's uh, who's to say what's better, what's worse in terms of like location or whatever, but it is another example of like kind of like the change in philosophy. Like, he wouldn't Scott did that for a reason, whatever his reasons are, I don't know, but he did that for a reason, and then we saw other instances of them looking at this draft a little bit differently but you heard from did you hear from all three scott rob and connor yes and and i do think that's important for those you know if there's still skeptics out there those who aren't sure what to make of scott harris uh it wasn't just scott making these picks one thing the people scott harris hired this past offseason really good at their jobs rob metzler was doing this for the rays before like obviously this guy knows what he's doing Mark Connor, really good scouting history with the Padres, scouted some of the, their homegrown guys that have popped up over the past few years. Like Metzler and Connor were probably more, it sounds like Scott was pretty hands-on with the draft, but these were the guys really running the draft. So I just think that that's important to note. And, and you could tell, you know, just talking to them, they're, they're smart guys. They know how to break down players um, very much from a new school, you know, way of looking at the game. And they were, behind some pretty swanky backdrops at Little Caesars World headquarters as well. <laughs> Any word did they get? Is there a kitchen at the headquarters? Do you just get, like, all you can eat? There's got to be, right? There's got to be. I don't know if that's good or bad. That might, that might like... Well, you can't bring in other pizza. Some of our, oh, there are stories about people doing that, all right? Like, it, people have supposedly been fired for bringing in, like, Domino's. And this is a thing in like the Tigers minor leagues. Like I was, I was uh, talking to someone once who was on the phone with a Tigers player development personnel guy, and he's like, "Hold on, I gotta go. This double A kid just brought in Domino's. Like, I have to go take care of this." <laughs> <laughs> so that's a real thing. I'm sure only Little Caesars is allowed in Little Caesars World headquarters. Side note: I'm cool with the banning of Domino's because they're. The connections to firing Ernie Harwell aren't great with that chain. So, side note, oh, side note, I'm okay with that. If there was other ones, we can relax. But Domino's, I'm all right with. Uh, <laughs> MLB.com had this as their fourth-ranked draft class. And I did, like, a little bit of, like, see where they were ranked. It doesn't really matter. It's hard to, it, it, it's hard to project know. how these guys we are going to go and, and all that stuff. But... To me, it's, I wouldn't say more important, the most important thing is for them to hit, but it's almost, this draft is just like the approach at the plate that the Tigers have like tried to get with their hitters, where it's like, for right now, it's important to have the right approach as almost more so than, did you get a bloop single or not? This, the approach was what I was really trying to focus on here, and as I said earlier, it seems like they were like, hey, here's an idea, why don't we just get the guy that has like really good talent and maybe not necessarily just because he went to college and he produced this number or he happened to play in the SEC or, you know, it, like, it seemed like there was an idea behind it. And even player development, I believe you wrote in your story was, uh, was also involved in here. Like, can you work with I this? Was super interesting. Just 
player development people were in on these draft meetings from start to finish. It sounded like there was a real clear subtext of like, yeah, the Tigers were never doing this before. And now they are. So, yeah, can you work with this skill set? What skill set do you want? Look at some video of this guy. Here are scouting reports. Tell me how you think you can make him better. Those little conversations seem like things that could go a long way. Another thing that's just so simple, and I don't know if every team does this or, you know, how, you know, how far behind or not behind the Tigers were or whatever, but another thing that just seems so simple until you like hear it out loud. It's like, yeah, well, of course, when you do that, but these are the play, these are the men they're going to have to mold these players. So yeah, they ought to have some sort of say they ought to have some sort of know-how to, to do this. So I thought that was also important to know. Do you have a draft pick Cody? Not necessarily like a guy you think will hit or some, you know, something that like, you want to say like this guy's the steal of the draft, nothing necessarily like that, but just, an interesting story, an interesting tidbit um, uh, among the the selections the Tigers had that you're just kind of curious to see how they do because something caught your eye. Not necessarily like a prediction that he'll be an everyday player type deal. Yeah, I mean, I think the three, like my three favorite, again, not even saying best players, but the three guys I'm just going to follow the closest. Paul Wilson in the third round, more for obvious reasons, seems like a really talented guy, prep pitcher, big league bloodlines. Still got some refining to do with his curveball and his mechanics, but there's some people in the scouting industry like to get this guy in the third is really good. So I think he's the guy that like this guy could become a big league starter, or a really good big league pitcher. Uh, beyond that, you know, Jank Diaz, I hope I'm saying that right. J-A-N-T-K. This guy came from the Dominican, moved to Pennsylvania wasn't eligible to play as a senior because some like the timing of his move and all the rules. So Tiger scouts were just watching him throw bullpens on the side. He didn't play as a senior goes to the MLB draft league, which is a thing now and just dominated in like nine and a third inning. So short sample, but um, incredible stuff from everything I've heard. One of those guys like really raw. So this guy's either going to be like a star or just, nothing he's not going to be able to throw strikes one of those like probably not a lot in between and then uh yeah my juco catcher no idea how to say this kid's last name sir something like that canada went to connor's state which i wrote about back in my oklahoma days this junior college program that uh to kind of get a leg up in the juco recruiting game just goes and brings kids from all over the world into this like hodunk Oklahoma town. And they're one of the better junior college programs in the country. Um, we already talked about the numbers that are insane, but scouts also think he's got really good defensive tools, a killer arm, some power in the right-handed bat. Kind of tough to know what he eventually becomes given the competition level he was previously facing. But, you know, I've been hearing it's more than just the numbers with him. Like he's got some legit tools and, and he's got uh, a great story. Um, you should go read more about Connor's state baseball. It's, it's a fascinating thing. Yeah. Including an Albert Bell connection. Uh, Albert Bell's son went there for a little bit. They had this five, six kid from Aruba who was hitting like 500 for a little bit. I went and looked him up. He went to a small four year school was also hitting like something absurd. Seems like no one took a chance on him professionally. Broke my heart. Ah, that's unfortunate. Uh, yeah, I like obviously the Connor State thing. You know, had a light bulb for me. Uh, I also, I, I kind of like the idea of like Max Anderson being uh, another like now obviously a higher draft pedigree, but sort of like another Kerry Carpenter where it's like, oh man, this guy just keeps hitting, but I don't really know what the. <laughs> Uh, here's an adventure in the field. <laughs> he, he, he seems like another Jace Young to me, like, but drafted lower. So is he a worse Jace Young? That's my fear with Max Anderson. Well, I mean, every, what he hit in Nebraska is like something ridiculous, uh, you know, in the 400s or whatever. It's like, well, I can't yeah. wait to see it. And you know what? That's yeah. the kind of pick that kind of balances out like the top half of the draft where you have all these kids, including, you know, Carson Rucker. I like everything that I read about him. They had, Shortstop looks like yeah. they're going to put him at third base. But to me, I kind of felt like, again, we, we have no choice but to kind of read in the things that may or may not be an actual thing. 
But to me, this kind of felt like, look, we have all this infrastructure that we put into place, these hires that we put into place and player development and performance science and all these things. How about we just get the best clay that we can and mold it? And it seemed like every, I don't say every pick, but a lot of these picks, especially the young guys, why not get them in here at 18, 19 years old, you know, depending on their birthday or whatever, and and work with them instead of trying to correct something that a college coach would have had a kid do for the past three years. And not to mention access to weight training and all these oh. other things that are going to be highly beneficial. And again, I assume all these top picks were made with a plan in mind in order to sign them. Uh, we'll have to see about that. But the, again, the, the I, I, I'm in love with the approach. I'm in love with the approach yeah. that the Tigers had. I think an easy comp. Let's look at 2020. It was only five rounds. That draft was praised at the time for like, oh, Halavila just kind of rocked the draft. And in a way, it's it, it's, it's kind of hard to say how that draft aged. This time last year, I was like, man, that draft has gone nowhere. And now because you have Colt Keith, it's like, oh, this is a great draft again. We got Twerkelson at 1-1. We talk about that all the time. I don't know if, if you know, he's not the amazing surefire right away star. N slash A on that one. Be. Yeah. And then Dylan Dingler, like, still probably going to catch in the major leagues, but for a while, like, Dingler was probably a little more hype than maybe he's actually return you're actually going to get. Sure. Daniel Cabrera, like, college performer. Universally All loves. he had was a track record and just hasn't performed in the minors. Trey Cruz, very similar. is like, oh, he had a high OBP at Rice. Like, the Tigers are really, you know, caring about different things now. Well, Trey Cruz has really, really struggled in the minor leagues. Um, gosh, who were their guys after that? It's been forever. <laughs> I'm slipping. Well, on. you know, it's two other picks that were like liked at the time. And it turns out the best pick from that draft is going to be the prep kid. Um, Colt Keith. And the, the thing about the Colt Keith timeline, when we're like kind of making comparisons with the Max Clark stuff is that there's an organizational philosophy out there that the Tigers chose that Cole Keith would be up in the majors right now. So we'd be talking about like yeah. an even shorter timeline. I'm not saying that's the correct way, yeah. but that certainly exists. And to kind of put a bow on the Max Clark thing, I wanted to go back to real quick. Uh, it's going to be fun to have him and Riley Green, two like flashy baseball diehards, potentially, you know, obviously you expect him to get to this level if you pick him third overall. So I'm not trying to, you know, count my chickens before they hatch, but it'd be fun to watch them in the outfield together. I mean, those that could that has the makings of a really fun, you know, two thirds of your outfield, and you know, you fill them in however however uh, you want after that. But the approach to this draft I thought was refreshing and fun, and it produced a lot of guys that I'm actually interested. I can't say that I'm every draft really interested in how so and so is going to do yeah. this amount of guys. I find myself really fascinated to see how these guys go including the ones that you mentioned earlier. And it was, again, it was pretty balanced there in the back too. And two guys from the yeah. University of UConn. That's fun. <laughs> a lot of Northeast guys. Yeah. I thought it was kind of interesting. Like, are the Tigers trying to comb some uncharted territory here when they're scouting? I, I should have asked that. Players who are used to playing in the cold? Smart. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, real quick circle back to fourth pick in that 2020 draft, Gage Workman, who – was viewed as good clay, right? Loud tools, like high power, somewhere like it's kind of like a Dodgers prospect. But everyone knew he had kind of a big hole in his swing, struck out a ton. Um, there's no one in this Scott Harris draft that doesn't, quote unquote, dominate the strike zone. So there's not really a gauge workman. There's some guys with tools without kind of the obvious, is this kind of guy going to strike out 200 times? That's interesting. Credit to the Tigers front office for uh, just keeping this dominate the strike zone thing, you know, living. <laughs> like, honestly, like, you know, like yeah. said it from day one right at the press conference and it's been repeated and it's been in play. And it's also, you know, it was part of their draft philosophy out there, too. They put it out there. So credit to them for doubling down on their uh, uh, on their public philosophies. And then like the only thing that they can give us without giving away the trade secrets. <laughs> All right, well, speaking of Scott Harris, he made some headlines for an interview with, what, 97.1, where he, uh, <laughs> yes. where he, which we, 
we talked about maybe put yourself out there a little bit more, and this is an example of him doing that. So credit, credit, been doing it. Credit, good, credit to him. And he kind of fed something that you know, kind of give the people what they want because the Tigers are still, you would say, striking distance. Crazier things have happened in terms of you know winning a division championship and thus obviously making the postseason. And we're not too far away, Cody, from the trade deadline. It's uh, it's July sixteenth. We're basically two weeks away from from the trade deadline. Another thing fast approaching, and he said he put it out on the record that the team's record will play a factor into the trade deadline approach. Now I have kind of two thoughts on that. One. Every year that would be the case. Like every team's record influences, you know, their trade deadline decisions. Uh, two, I don't think that's actually going to play that much into his uh, decision making because yes. it'd be it would be a weird move. It, what a contradiction it would be to take all these prep players at the top of the draft and then, and then uh, and then keep your expiring contracts and. Uh, and the, the Eduardo and Michael Lorenzen types and, and all that stuff. That would, that, I mean, that would be kind of funny. But to me, the record isn't really going to change all that much, the approach, or at least it shouldn't. Because I do believe this team could re- maintain this level of competitiveness if you trade Eduardo Rodriguez, if you trade Michael Lorenzen, and we're recording this on the heels of, you know, Eduardo's still not... He's still acting like a pitcher that just came back from a finger injury. You know, nothing nothing wrong with that. And then Lorenzen, obviously, all-star and had, what, a no-hitter into the fifth. Uh, Lorenzen now yeah. looking like an actual all-star. So I think you could still maintain <laughs> this general level of competitiveness and interest if you traded those guys. Uh, but your, your take on Scott kind of putting this out there as, again, we're – approaching you have the second half quote-unquote second half of the season and then the trade deadline coming here pretty shortly yeah so scott's obviously working on his pr skills it would have been probably really bad pr for scott to go on the radio and say yeah you know what i don't care if we're in first place we're selling (laughs) that probably wouldn't have gone over well with the average casual detroit tigers fan 97-1 listener so i don't place a lot of stake in this quote I do think, like, if the Tigers are two games back versus seven games back, it might have some bearing on how desperate they are to sell. Or maybe, like, I think Lorenzen's going to be, like, has to be traded. He's on an expiring deal. I think Eduardo, you risk way too much if you don't trade him. I guess the option of extending him could still be in play, but uh, I think trading Eduardo for bats is what makes the most sense for the long term of this organization. I do not think at all that Scott Harris is blind to that. Like, I think Scott Harris is too smart to look at this team and be and be like, yeah, let's make a push for uh, to win the worst division in the history of the divisional era and sacrifice building for the future in this long-term endeavor that I came here to take on. Like, that's just the reality. Off that, like, if the Tigers are somehow, you know, say they just continue to cruise – and get real hot in this in this coming back from the all-star break and they're knocking on the door in first place i think that'd be a terrible (laughs) thing for the long term of the franchise like like in a way you need to take this opportunity to trade some more guys i i'm gonna throw it again back to the shortened 2020 season which sometimes it feels like it never happened but the tigers went on a five game winning streak leading up to the trade deadline there that I think probably prevented them from trading Jonathan Scope and CJ Crone. I think Crone might have been hurt at the time. Jonathan Scope and Austin Romine. Uh, and it was Alavila. Like at that point, he had to hold on for dear life and pray for some level of success. If the Tigers didn't win five games in a row in a 60 game season, they probably would have sold more at that deadline. And uh, a deadline in which the only trade they ended up making was Cameron Maven for Zach Short. And so I don't know how much scope or whatever would have really got you in return, but they'd probably be a couple more young guys in the system, uh, probably a little more depth in the system. So I don't think if you're Scott Harris, you want that to happen, which puts Scott in a little bit of a weird position. I'm not saying he's at all rooting against the team or anything. He's not. Um, But I think the chances of the Tigers actually being in first place by August 1 are 
minuscule. And I think the scenario in which the Tigers aren't sellers is like the odds of that happening are incredibly minuscule. Even if they are within two or three games of first place, I think they're obvious natural moves that they have to make for the long-term health. Of yeah. The I mean, I, part of me looks forward to looking at the top 30 and beyond prospect list post deadline. Cause you throw in the inflection of talent from the draft because, you know, we had all talked about how thin, uh, the, the farm system had been out of all these guys to kind of come up uh, to the major leagues. So I look forward to that. Just for the sake of just throwing every scenario out there, I'm not saying I would do this, but let's just kind of play out. Like, is there any world where you extend Lorenz? Would you would you extend Lorenz in a year? So right now, eight and a half I million. Almost think that, I almost, yeah, you know what? I'm glad you brought that up. I had that thought the other day, and I actually think that that is probably a better move than extending Eduardo. But you always you always got to put yourself in the agent's brain. If I'm the agent, I'm like, my guy's coming off the all-star game. He just took a – he just shoved for what whatever it was, seven innings against the Mariners. Like, if you're Michael Lorenzen and you have the second half of your life, you could be worth a decent chunk of change on the open market. So I, if I'm Lorenzen, the agent, I am not entertaining extension talks. Um, granted this is a guy who has never really had like a multi-year security what if he gets hurt maybe cash in while you can but I think I think the smart financial move if I'm Lorenzen is to shove in the second half and then hey hey Tigers if you still want me all right pay up now I like I if Scott Harris was able to convince Lorenzen's agent into an extension now that'd be a pretty savvy move but I think the odds of that happening just don't make sense from the players' perspective. Yeah, and for the record, Lorenzen signed a one-year, $8.5 million deal. Next year, it will be his age 32 season. So, I, so again, it's like one of those things, like, could you entice him to a one-year, sort of similar to the— to Yeah, one, one could, plus one, yeah, kind which, of like the yeah, scope deal, which, which that you know, extra one didn't, didn't work well, out but... that way. Uh, speaking of scope, just like a 30-second tangent— uh, I just love the formality of how baseball transactions uh, go. So it's like Jonathan Scope clears waivers and is granted his release. I love how we say granted his release in baseball, whereas like that doesn't happen in any other sport. It's like you were released, not granted his release. What? Well, yeah. Uh, yeah, I, yeah, I guess yeah. that's just a weird language thing. Like he technically could have – the Tigers could have – tried to right. assign him to triple a and he would have right. refused the assignment and then elected free agency just, so rather than doing yeah. that he was it, granted a release but which yeah. is the same it's, it's just like the, all the layers to baseball transactions or whatever i just kind of funny find it yeah. funny it's a thing uh, michael lorenzen per fan graphs has already been worth 9.1 million this season based on his current 1.1 f4 uh so this guy could probably be pushing, I don't know, $13, $14 million with even a decent second we'll have, we'll have a couple of pause to talk about this, but is there any – so like Jim Bowden did an article on The Athletic for every team, you know, about like their trade deadline sellers, in-betweens, buyers. You know what? All right, sorry. Sorry to interject. If I'm Scott, I'm not doing that because you can go get another Michael Lorenzen. You got a chance to Fair. get – a young hitting talent or whatever. And if you are, if you really believe in your ability to identify talent and make calculated risks and find untapped potential, you can get a guy who is doing what Lorenzen is doing right now. Um, Again, and then you think about if, if you trade Eduardo and you trade Lorenzen and obviously, you know, Matthew Boyd's on an expiring deal and, you know, going through Tommy John. You freed up a lot of your starting pitching budget to do pretty much whatever you want. To do pretty much whatever you want. You and you have a ton of money next year. And so... Will you, will the ownership allow you to spend that money? I don't know. But yeah. you're going to have a lot of money. And, but I was going to say, is there any is there any name that we should maybe be kind of... Keep a little bit of ear out for like some rumors about like some guy that maybe like a surprise trade like 
Is a is there a, is there a Cisnero mm. thing there? Is there a Turnbull thing there? Is there even yeah. a Lang who I know isn't necessarily at his peak value? But like the, the Foley, like all of these guys. Yeah, I think the chances of Lang or Foley going in season are slim. It's one of those things that maybe could be revisited in the off season. It all depends on the offer. If someone blows you away for Jason Foley, you'll entertain that way more than you would in theory. But I don't see that happening. I think Turnbull's an interesting name to watch. Probably not at the peak of his value. Probably not going to get a lot for him. We'll see. You know, he's through a bullpen, so we'll see how healthy he ends up being in a couple of weeks. That could be something. I think you got to try to deal Cisnero. I'm not sure if you're going to get more than, you know, uh, half dozen eggs or whatever. Eggs are, are coming down in price, so it's possible. The, the surprise, the wild card, I think, would be Scooble. I don't think the deadline is where he goes. Uh, but remember, he was kind of a surprise name that popped up last year. And I think he will always kind of for the next couple of years do that just because he's a really good pitcher. Uh, he could get you some dudes in return. If you're the Baltimore Orioles and you need some pitching and you have an excess of infielders, like wouldn't Michael Elias want to take a long, long look at that? A guy you can control for a couple more years. I don't see that happening at the deadline. I have no indication the Tigers are looking to move Scooble, but I think the sheer uh, stature of his name and his potential and his controllability means we're probably not done hearing that name in trade rumors. I think any chance of a realistic deal would make more sense in the offseason than it would right now, though, especially with Scooble just coming off surgery, just getting healthy. Yeah, it's like I said last week, you better blow me away. You better blow me away. Uh, no half-ass offers uh, for Scooble. Yeah, yeah. And is there anything that really? No, gets... I, in, I interrupted you on your your Jim Bowden point. Did you have any, anything else there? Yeah, I mean, with the, with with the Bowden thing, it was really like he threw out he threw some stuff out there that I had not read anywhere where it's like you trade Eduardo because he, he's going to opt out and he's not likely to sign with Detroit. I'm not saying I dispute that. I'm just saying it's kind of weird that it not weird. It was just like reading that for the first time. I was like, Oh, okay. Yeah. And then he, but he did also throw in, he, but he threw out those relievers that, uh, as possibilities. And then he even said like, maybe try to trade Baez, which I just kind of feel like yeah, yeah, time, right. time is precious, you know, around trade deadline time. I'm not really sure. Like trying to shop bias, for what you could even get in return if there was any interest it, it is worth your time. And again, I maintain like if this team could project into being a contender, you're going to see like what you saw what Friday where Bios is batting six and you're like, okay, fine. Okay, fine. You know, as he gets to the end of his contract, you, it's not going to be your main concern. I don't think, I think it'll be okay. It'd be something you maybe would like a little bit better but you really shouldn't lose like sleep at night if everything else in the organization elevates. So that's sort of like my random hobby bias uh, uh, interpretation of events. I think maybe the counter argument uh, back to Lorenzo one more time of like dealing versus extending is like, what are you actually going to get for a rental starter? And I'll come back to looking at trade comps. I mean, again, Scott got Justin Henry Malloy for Joe Jimenez feel like you should at least be able to get that type of player for for a starter, even if it is a rental. Um, I mean, look at, you know, Alavila getting Joey Wentz in the Shane Green deal. Like, who would have thought that's actually a not an amazing trade? Wentz hasn't really fully blossomed at the big league level. He's really struggled this year. But, like, it's possible to get a little more than you think in these rentals sometimes. Okay, well, let's get out ahead of the conversation just for a second then with you trade – Eduardo, you trade Lorenzen. Who's taking those innings? Yeah, I, I think. And how? Is probably... uh, unfortunately, that does give you some doubts about your rotation for the second half. But it's Reese Olsen. It's um, it's Alex Fiedo. It's Bob Brisky looked Brisky? really good the other Brisky? night. I don't. I don't. I, maybe I feel like the Tigers have put a lot of work into like making him a reliever. I think. AJ said I wouldn't rule out starting in his future. I got the sense he meant more like next season with that, um, especially like long injury road back. I wouldn't mess with Brisky too much. I do think Brisky, like 
it has everything needed to be a starter long term. So that's interesting. I guess you couldn't totally rule it out. We we know how these guys get creative. We've already seen it because of injuries. You know, some tandem starts and bullpen days and all that. They they will find ways to bridge the gap. The Casey Mize thing was float. We talked about that last week. I mean, it wouldn't be until probably mid September. You know, a couple starts if anything. But I wouldn't thousand percent rule that out. And you could always you could always ask for like you know, in addition to a prospect, some like kind of four a pitcher also in a return yeah. just to kind What's of. What's Drew Hutchinson doing? These exactly. Days? Like that's, that's <laughs> what the, this year's Tigers have sorely missed is the Drew Hutchinson type. And uh, maybe they'll find a way to get one of those. They could get one of those guys on waivers or something in the second half as well. But to harken back what I was saying earlier, Cody, with like the kind of team that this is, and the interest level they would have moving forward. You know, you did just take two out of three at Seattle. Like, that's not nothing. And especially, you know, we mentioned, we talked a lot about Michael Lorenzen. You know, pitching the same ballpark, back-to-back games, you know, that's kind of cool, I guess, you know. And you had two wins and again i'm talking about like interest level and competitive level with the guys right it's a it's a little bit different conversation with like true contention i think but you come back from the all-star break a team that's not necessarily together because guys coming back at different rates from injuries you're talking about eduardo you're talking about riley green we'll talk about in a second you have two very satisfying wins one of them is a 5-4 affair. The other one's a 6-0 affair. And then you you drop, what was it, 2 nothing. We were recording right afterward. 2 nothing. You had opportunities to win that one, too. This easily could have been a sweep. I mean, I guess you could say easily could have been 2-3 in a different order. But regardless, this team responded well to being uneven going into the All-Star break. And you start the, all, the post-All-Star break with two wins. That's what I mean. I don't know if that really makes a whole lot of sense, but that's what I mean about like the interest level of this team, the competitive nature of this team, AJ Hinch executing on a consistent basis with the pitching, the bullpen, the lineups. Uh, again, I, I mentioned this earlier. Baez hitting sixth. Like that, I don't know what it is, but I know it's something. And I think like this team is still going to be interesting regardless if and when they presumably trade a Lorenzen and Eduardo because you have enough guys that I truly do believe have a chance. And I, I want to emphasize that. Have a chance to be part of like the secondary core going forward. Whereas in the history of our podcast, and it extends a year, the history of you covering the Tigers, not really a thing. So that's what I mean by interest level. And this this series was a perfect example of that, if that makes sense. Yeah, you know who was pretty good today? Reese Olsen. Um, the Tigers, yes. now the Mariners, there's a long list of underachieving teams in baseball, and the Mariners are sneakily one of them. They're not to the extent of the Mets or the Padres, but they, they just haven't hit on all cylinders yet. And I actually wonder if there's good things in store for Seattle in the second half. But... Didn't start it off when dropping two of the two out of three to the Tigers isn't a great way to start. I off. guarantee you they're pissed. Yeah, yeah. I guarantee no, they're, you they're pissed. Their fans seem to be seem to be livid about this. Yet the Tigers came out. I mean, Saturday night was one of the best Detroit Tigers games all year. Pitched well, hit the ball well. Um, you saw Riley Green come out and and continue to look like he hasn't really missed a beat. He changes the complexion of your order just by his his simple presence. I think. Um, so it is interesting, like, okay, how competitive will the Tigers be? Do you trade or do you not trade? If you sell Eduardo, if you sell Lorenzen, if you sell other guys, what does that mean for August and September? I don't know. Like, I will stand by what I've said pretty much all year. I think the Tigers are going to win somewhere in the realm of 70-ish games. They'll probably not be as good if they, if they trade some of their starting pitching at the deadline, but... You're starting to see other guys you can fill in. You have Scooble healthy. You have Reese Olsen looking like a guy who's more than capable of pitching in the big leagues, even if I tend to think he's probably a reliever long-term. Like, I, guys, dumps, we've seen some good moments from Reese Olsen. 
And then the lineup was so miserably bad all first half. It's not going to magically show up and be great. But there's another thing I've kind of said all year. I think it can be more like 23rd or 24th rather than 28th or 29th in the league. Uh, having Riley Green healthy is obviously a big step in the right direction there. Well, one of the things I always like to look at, and I've had to say this in all honesty, way too many times for my own comfort level for Tigers baseball the past couple of years. But So you score five runs, you score six runs. Generally speaking, those are games that you ought to be able to win. Absolutely. You know, like, so that's like regardless of who's on the mound, right? Like, uh, like those are games that you ought to be in position to win. Obviously, they won those two. And then you, you drop a, a, a the third game again. A good way to lose is scoring zero runs. That, that tends to have a pretty bad success rate. No mathematician over here, but it seems to have a pretty bad success rate. And I gotta, I do have to brag for one second, Cody, because when I saw the lineup for Friday, I was excited because you know, like Wolfie's returned, and look, <laughs> I understand the struggles, I understand the frustration, but when the guy is on, it's fun baseball. That's all I'm saying. It's fun when he's on, and it was like, and I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna try to pull up the actual batting order, but in some fashion, it was like. Carpenter or Green, Torkelson, Carpenter, and Maton and Veerling, and I was like, I put this on Twitter. I'm at Cody Stave. I'm I'm at Kieran Sports Deckley. <laughs> Whoa, you are my at Twitter handle here. Elon Musk. Yeah, you are at Cody. Made Twitter that much of the Wild West. Yeah. No, no, no. You are at Cody Stavenhagen. That was a murderer's row of like my wife's favorite players. I know Veerling is is, is a favorite of uh, of your girlfriend. That's true. And then what what happened? What happened? And Badu was in a lineup too. I didn't even mention him. What happened? Maton home run, Badu home run, Carpenter home run, Veerling catch. I mean, it was a great day for my household, I gotta say. And and so that was like a reminder of how fun this team can be and kind of seeing these guys grow can be. And if you have it under that scope, the second half's gonna be fun regardless of whether you trade Eduardo and whether you trade Lorenzen. And I also kind of want to... Okay, so you wrote about it this week, the, about Riley Green. And it was informative. It, you know, talked about, like, what he did in the break and, and and his, like, attitude, like, coming out of, you know, being injured and little hinge quotes in there about how to manage him. But my question is, what is the Riley Green conversation, like, for the rest of the season? Because this is a guy that I think would have been named an all-star had he not gotten hurt. Don't think that's a hot take. Would have been named an all-star. And with all respect to Michael Lorenzen, we wouldn't have had the same reaction had Riley Green been healthy and been named an all-star a couple weeks ago. I do firmly believe he is one of the young, up-and-coming players in the league. And he's batting around... Was it like 300? He he just, he had a home run uh, shortly after coming back. There's a little bit of a load management aspect to him right now. I want to know what what is the conversation to enhance his development for the long term for the rest of the season because it's just an uneven thing given that he had the injury, given that. Now it's going to be, you're not going to be playing as much per se. You're not going to be playing in center field as much per se. It was DH today. Like, what is the Riley Green conversation for this season and how it apply, applies to the long term? Because I think that's, that's something I can't necessarily put my thumb on. No, I mean, I think the conversation is how good is Riley Green? Is he a really good player or is he a preeminent star? I think, look, this guy's hitting 300 more than halfway through his sophomore season. I think he's established. He's, this guy can hit the major leagues. Is there more power in the tank? In my article, I said, you know, he hasn't got the attention of a Corbin Carroll type, but he has that level of ability. And someone in the comments wrote me for, like, being a homer. And, look, he, he he's probably not the all-around. Like, he's not as fast as Corbin Carroll. But right. the hit tool, I think, is there. I think the power... Carroll right now has more home runs. I I think that's the big question with Riley, how much more power is to come. 
His launch angle's still low, but you know, if you look at what he's done since the start of May, he's getting the ball off the ground. He's pulling it in the air more. I think Riley Green will easily be a 20 plus home run hitter, you know, in his career. Is he a 30 plus home run hitter? Maybe that's kind of the question. And that'll take more time than just this year to fully know. And the other big question is, okay, like, do we have to start using the word injury prone? And I don't know how fair that is. Like the guy fouled the ball off his foot at one point. Now a stress fracture in a 22, 23 year old, it's a usage injury. It's a little bit of another thing. Um, AJ Hinge, of course, has talked about giving him scheduled days off, DH days. He's going to play in center field. It sounds like the remainder of this season, but starting to get more and more indicators that not only is a corner probably best suited for him, but I think in the next year or two, the Tigers are going to be looking for ways to get Riley Green to a corner spot. And that's not a knock on his defense as much as it is, look, he can be a plus defender in a corner and might be able to preserve his body a little bit more, which is super important. Like, that's the one thing, like, you need to see Riley Green stay healthy. That's why the Tigers are taking a little bit of a cautious approach coming off this stress labeled a stress reaction, not a stress fracture, basically a stress fracture, but not as bad. Um, So these are all the things at play here. You know, you have a really, really good player. I've watched Riley Green a long time throughout his professional career. I think he can be an upper echelon player. Uh, So how do you make sure you maximize that ability? Keeping him healthy is a big one. And then how much power is in the tank? Those are the things to, to watch for here in the second half. Yeah, and I think, unfortunately, the whole center field versus corner thing has kind of become like, well, if you move them, it's a knock. Just like the general like like perception, which is not necessarily the case. He's proven that he could he could be your center fielder, and it would be fine. There There's no, like on-field downside to I feel like I'm saying something that duh but it's like there's no on-field on center field he's going to be an adequate center field. okay I guess an yeah. ideal construction of a no ball downside club, maybe you would also have like a gold glove center fielder and then right I absolutely think Riley Green you move into a corner you're so you start talking gold glove yeah and he can do all the things on the field in the clubhouse, it seems like a good guy. Uh, you know, I, I talked earlier about like the kind of mentor he could be for these up and comers. I think that's kind of a unique opportunity. There's a lot to love about Riley Green. It's just kind of weird to kind of manage, like you said, a stress fracture slash reaction, whatever you want to technically call it. Like at this age, he'll turn 23 September 28th. So it's like he's still young. You want to manage his reps to a certain extent, but you still got to give him reps. Uh, so that's kind of like the the balance that the Tigers have to have here. Uh, all right. I forgot in the haste of doing everything with the draft or whatever last week to give an HKG. So this is kind of like a, like a two-week-ish HKG. I don't have a ranking, Cody. I just have a list of guys that are worthy and people can kind of like they can vote on their own who they think is number one michael lorenzen all-star and then right after pitching in the all-star game goes into the fifth with a no hitter in the same ballpark that's kind of cool you gotta put him there right nick maton comes back up from triple a didn't do anything remarkable in toledo hits a home run that's gotta be worthy you know, Kerry Carpenter hits three home runs in this series. I think that's worth mentioning. Call me crazy. Matt Veerling with a home run robbery. So much so that he fooled like every broadcaster <laughs> on the planet. He played it. He played it excellently. I love that. That's some flair. Max Clark. How could he not be on this list, right? He just got picked number, you know, third overall by the new regime. He's got to be on that list. And Holton continues to come out of the pen and then just do the most simple yet unremarkable yet, oh my God, just get guys out. All he does is get guys out. I love watching him come in. Come in. And so I, I got like, what was that, six? I got like a six-way tie for HKG this week, Cody. I, I don't know if, if anyone deserves more than the other, but I feel like they're all worthy. 
I feel like they're all. Yeah, worried. you're not. You're not wrong. All these guys did some good stuff. I think Max Kluger number one because Scott Harris has tied himself to that that mask a little bit. Like this is now your guy. Even Max Clark said it. Max Clark said something to the effect of, "I'm proud to be Scott Harris's first draft pick." Um, so he yeah, gets it. I, I, this is what again, we talked about earlier. He gets it. Like, like he's not naive about these things. He's like, yeah, I'm kind of, I'm kind of tied. Which, if you're a ball player, that's a good space to be in, by the way, to be the executive's, uh, you know, top draft pick. Um, we're not going to be talking about him every day for a while because he's not close to the major leagues. But in the long run, Max Clark and Scott Harris are uh, going to be tied closely together. You know what? I feel all right about that. As I'll reflect on what I was saying earlier. I feel okay about that overall. Uh, anything else, Cody, you want to get into before we jet out of here? No, I think that's good for right now. A lot of fun conversations, draft, trade deadline. And, you know, look, a series win at Seattle, that's obviously not nothing. So you can follow us on Twitter, at Cody Stavenhagen. I am at Kieran underscore Steckley. At Turn Corner Pod is the podcast page. On YouTube, it is Turn the Corner Podcast. And, of course, Apple and Spotify is where you can listen to us. And please subscribe to The Athletic so you can continue to read all of Cody's great work. So, for Cody Stavenhagen, I'm Kieran Steckley. Everybody have a great day.